Thanks, guys. Good job, Stephen. Donnie. You know, in a couple months, you when you, you, when you get married, then you're really going to have something to sing about. <laughs> you know that, don't you? <laughs> Nothing like a good woman to put a song in your heart and a crimp in your budget. <clears throat> <laughs> All righty then. <clears throat> now today, uh, last week, as you know, we finished chapter nine. And uh, we're going to, of 2 Corinthians, and we're going to start uh, chapter 10 here uh, next week. And, in, and you know, when I do a chapter, uh, especially in this book, there's so much information and there's so much that I, I want you to get that in most cases I'll do an introduction to the chapter before I really break into the chapter. I'm sure by now, as you've come through this with me, uh, almost chapter by chapter, uh, you can see how uh, what I told you was absolutely true, that uh, this book of Second Corinthians really does lay out the ministry. It's the handbook uh, for ministers. And when I say ministers, I'm not talking about ordained pastors. I'm talking about um, you, men and women, because we know that our job is to minister. Johnny, bring that out up there. That's fine, buddy. Uh, it's our job is to minister, and our job is to uh, to uh, do that. Thanks, buddy. Um, and you know, in my life, I'm, I'm thankful for a lot of things that God has put in my life, and, and a lot of things that God has given me. Uh, one, I think the the thing that I I thank God, um, and I was going to say the most for, but then tomorrow that'll change because it'll be something else I'll think about. But uh, God is, I really thank God for the fact that. Uh, um, I understand how the system works. Uh, I think that so many times people get caught up in things because they, they don't understand. And, and, I, and, and I, I, under, I know that uh, I don't, I'm not in any illusion, nor am I uh, so naive that I think that uh, as any pastor, really, but I'm talking about me and our church here, is that, that I can fix anybody's problems. Now, it's just not going to, it's not logical. It's not going to happen. There's nobody who, uh, he deceives himself if he thinks that he has the ability uh, to fix everybody's problems. And that's just simply not true. And uh, I, 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 I realize that, that that's impossible. But I also realize that that's really not my job and to be good with people. And some of you are, are really have the potential to be really good with people. I'm just telling you that. Some of you I see in you, uh, if you just let yourself be developed, some of you are already up to the, the stages where I would, you know, I would just about uh, trust you with, with anything that you do with people. I never even second think about it. When I give you something to do, I know it's going to be done as good as it can probably be done. I, I understand that. But I also understand that, uh, and I found this out over 40-some years of just dealing with people, that uh, understanding why people have problems is really the key to helping them with their problems. And so many times, you know, we, we, get, we get caught up in so much stuff that really doesn't matter. Or we get this mindset that, you know, that we've got to be able to fix everybody's problem. I know that's not possible. And my goal in life certainly is, is not to fix everybody's problem, though I spend most of my life helping people with their problems. But my goal in life is to understand how it all works. I, I can almost deal with anything in life as long as I know how it works. 
I've devoted my whole life to understanding how this book works. I've devoted my whole life, and I'm, I haven't scratched the surface of it, but I devoted my whole life to understanding how God works. And I've learned over the years that understanding why people have the problems and the issues that they have is absolutely vital. It's vital, first of all, for me personally, because I have the same problems or temptations or things that you have. And it's, once it works on you, it's invaluable when you start taking it into your family, which is the next step, and then taking it to other people, which is the ministry phase of it. There's a story in the Bible. <clears throat> I heard this message probably 35 years ago. Uh, it was preached by a missionary, and uh, it was one of the greatest messages. And it, you know, there's some messages that you hear that your life's never the same once you hear them. I probably heard a oh, hundred thousand messages, and I can't remember most of them. But there are certain messages that I've heard that I will simply never forget. There are certain messages that I hear that changed my life so dramatically, or at least gave me an angle on life that I didn't have before, that I don't care if I'm 100 years old. I'll, I'll remember it, and I'll use it every chance I can. Bruce Bell was the, was the missionary's name. He was a missionary to Mexico. And he was at a mission conference one time, and he preached a message on, on uh, 2 Kings chapter 4. Now, you don't have to turn to 2 Kings chapter 4. Uh, and it was a story about Elisha. And it's a, when you look at it, it's a weird story. Because the story in capsule form is this woman has a boy. The boy dies. She calls Elisha. Elisha comes, you know, and the boy's dead. And he was making it in a missionary context, which was a great sermon. I've stole this sermon, preached it a hundred times since that point. It's a great sermon. Any sermon worth that changes your life is worth stealing. <laughs> you say Christians shouldn't steal. Only when it's other messages you can do that. You say. And, and the story goes that this kid was dead. And Elisha does a strange thing. He crawls on top of this kid, this dead body. And the Bible says he puts his mouth on his mouth. He puts his hands on his hands. I, it's an incredible study. And he puts his eyes to his eyes. In other words, he lays on the guy, mouth to mouth, eye to eye, hand to hand. And the, it's the weirdest thing in the Bible. And I, I got to confess to you, many times I read the Bible for long before I heard this message, I just kind of skipped over that part because I didn't know what I was dealing with. Because I got to be honest with you, Crawling on top of Bob Gregg and putting my mouth to his mouth and eyes to his eyes and hands to his hand is not what I'm looking for today, Bob. <laughs> but there had to be more to it than that, okay? And then he laid it out. He laid out the fact that that boy was dead. That's a picture of an unsaved man. And he said, you know, to help people with their problems. Penny, you probably were there and heard this message at this point. Some of the older guys probably were too. He says, that boy was a picture of an unsaved man. And he said, if we're really going to reach unsaved people, if you're really going to help people, then that Elisha, laying on him eye to eye, mouth to mouth, hand to hand, is a great example of what we have to do because for us to help people and to reach people, 
we have to understand why unsaved people see things the way they see, eye to eye. We have to better understand why unsaved people talk and say the things that they do, mouth to mouth. And for us to really have an impact in people's lives and change people's lives, we, we can't just do it from a distance. We have to understand why people look at things the way they do, say the things they say, and then hand-to-hand do the things they do. That message changed my whole life as far as people's concerned. At that point, or maybe shortly thereafter, the Holy Spirit of God took that and began to develop in my life a lifelong quest of understanding why human nature is what it is. Why people, saved or lost, say the things they say, see things the way they see it, and do things that they do. To me, I, I know I can't help everybody, and I know that there's some people that are unfixable, but at the same time, in spite of that, my goal in life is to always be understand why people are the way they are. And I want to give you a little piece of that today. I'm not going to preach to you today. I'm going to simply walk you through one of the greatest things that changed my life about working with people. Because if you're here today and you really get dialed in to what God wants you to do with your life as a Christian, it's going to be people. And I want you to be as effective as you can be. Every, every person here who's working with somebody right now that may be struggling in some area of your life, and you, that person struggling may think that you're walking through 20-foot snowdrifts without any snowshoes. Lifetime's time is that way. I want you to know they're working with you. They're helping you. Our whole church is geared to bring you in, help you, bring you through your issues, and then turn you back out that you take the experiences of life, good and bad, learn some great principles, and then take it to somebody else. That's what the ministry is. So I'll, I want to give you a little piece of something that changed my life today. And, and uh, you know, just last month we came through two of the greatest chapters in the book of 2 Corinthians, chapters 8 and 9, and they deal with the single aspect of our Christian life and everything to it, and that is the heart of the minister. You know that now. The heart is the most important part of our physical body as well as the most important part of our spiritual body. If you ever noticed, you know, David said one time when he talked about how God fashioned man, he said, we are fearfully and wonderfully made. Boy, there's no true statement of that. And, you know, and if you're paying attention, when God created man, he gave him almost, almost without exception, two of everything. Gave you two eyes, gave you two ears, gave you two arms, gave you two legs, two kidneys, two lungs. And, and when you go all down through the list and you look at it, uh, he did that so if you lost one of those vital parts, you could still function. But you'll also notice that uh, with very few exceptions, uh, he only gave us one heart. Because the Christian is supposed to be of singleness of heart. And the heart is an incredible, uh, it's, the, it's the center of everything. Because without that heart, man cannot on any level function in any way. The heart of man physically is everything, and without it, man is dead. Now, when it comes to the spiritual life of man, the heart, is, again, is everything. Somebody asked a question Thursday night on the five crowns that we get at the judgment seat of Christ, and I went through and laid those out, but then I told you that, that the five crowns are true, and you do get them, but at the end of the day, it's your attitude of heart that really constitutes what you get with God, because everything goes back to the heart. 
That's true of the physical life. It's true of the spiritual life. The heart is everything. Man's heart toward God and the things of God. Now, when we got saved, God gives us a new heart at the time of salvation. But until man gets that new heart, he's dead to the things of God. You know, I say that, and yet I'm sure going through your mind right now that this old world looks at it the same way. Uh, We live in Kansas and Missouri. That's typically called the what? Heart of America. Okay? We call it the heartland. We just had Valentine's Day, and you went in, and they didn't have kidneys on the on the cards. (laughs) They had hearts. And it said something, you know, to the relationship that I love you with all of my heart. How many times have, you know, you looked into your girlfriend's face or the woman you want to marry, and before you ask her to marry, you say, I love you with all my lungs? (laughs) Kidneys? You love her with all your heart. In general life, how many times did you want something so bad as a child and to, to seal the deal, you said... Cross your heart and hope to die. You promise me with all your heart? We get in there and we sit down and what do we say? Let's get to the kidneys of the matter. No. We get to the heart of the matter. That in the great songs that move us all, it wasn't, I left my kidneys in San Francisco. (laughs) It was, I left my heart in San Francisco. Oh, I'm tempted to sing a couple bars of it, but I won't. The heart is central and key to everything. Now, along with that, God gave you only one mind. And I know in, in even in Christian circles, people don't know what the anatomy of body, soul, and spirit is, so they always associate the mind with the heart, you know, the brain, Uh, And spiritually speaking, that's not really true. But as a Christian, you're to be of singleness of heart with God and also should be of singleness in mind because God only gave you one heart, spiritually speaking, and he only gave you one mind. And when you don't do that, then the biblical principle kicks in. James chapter 1, verse 8, you all know it. A double-minded man is unstable in all his ways. See how it works? I mean, it's really simple. It's not hard at all. Now, when I deal with people, and I deal with them all the time, and I, my goal is to teach you as many as will allow yourself to be taught how to deal with people. When I deal with circumstances or situations, I follow a very basic fundamental principle of, that is to break whatever I'm looking at down to its lowest common denominator. Most people, when they deal with situations, they spend so much time on the symptoms, the side issues, that they never really identify what the problem is. No, you got to get it down to the lowest common denominator, whatever it is. Whatever your problem is, it isn't what the symptoms appear to be. It's peeling back the layers, peeling back, boiling it down, and getting to the real issue. That's the lowest common denominator. Dividing it by itself till there's no way you can get it any lower. I tell you all this because uh, today we're doing the intro for chapter 10 of 2 Corinthians. Today I want to lay out all the basic assets that we need and principles to see how this chapter really 
lays itself out when we get to it. For chapter 10 in 2 Corinthians now deals with the mind of the minister. These chapters are what I call compounding chapters. Chapters 8 and 9 deals with the heart. Chapter 10 then deals with the mind. Now, you're going to see how this all pulls together here. This is why I want to give you an intro on it, so when we hit it next week, we're ready to go. Uh, uh, in chapter 10, we're dealing with the mind. And like I said, I'm not going to preach to you today. I want, I'm just going to want to walk you through this. But here's what I do want you to do. I know sermons can be, have a lot of material in them, and you can, can't remember it all. So here's all I want you to do today. Uh, if you're interested at all in working with people and, and getting yourself be better, and even for yourself, all I want you to do is write down 10 things that I'm going to give you today as I come through this basic outline. It's an introduction, really. And, you know, I'm not going to preach to you. I'm not going to rant and rave. I, I, I'm, I'm just going to walk you through it. I, I want to help you understand it. Now, we all know that Ephesians chapter 6 says that we wrestle not against flesh and blood. In the Old Testament, they did. They, Jericho, Joshua, they fought literal battles. The Bible says we wrestle not against flesh and blood. Our battle is a spiritual battle. And I remember, I remember when I first got right with God and wanted, I, I tried to read everything I could. And I remember the first book I ever read was a book called The Battle for the Bible. That was the first book I ever read. And that guy said that the real battle today is, is over the Bible. Then I read somebody else's book a couple of years later that, that talked about that, uh, the battle for the family because I was working with families and I wanted to learn how to fight that battle. Somebody wrote a book there after that that talked about the battle for your child. That They didn't want to have people lose their kids. I read another book at some point in my life, I still got the book someplace. It was called The Battle uh, for Your Spouse. Now, it wasn't the battle with your spouse. It was the battle for your spouse. In other words, how not to lose your marriage. Now, all those books were good. And I'll be honest, I learned a lot from them. But later on in my life, once I really began to figure out the Bible for myself, I, I saw how that those books were as good as they were. They didn't get to the real lowest common denominator. Because even though those books were good, it wasn't, they weren't divided down enough. Because everything in those books, when, it, when it's taken to the lowest common denominator, the battle for the Bible, the battle for your family, the battle for your child, the battle for your spouse, will be the battle that is the real battle that we all face. And folks, that is the battle for your mind. That's where the real battle is. The battle for our mind when we talk about the mind, the battle for the mind, we're bringing it down to the simply lowest common denominator, and there's no lower to go. It's the battle for our minds. For every issue in life starts right there, the mind, and what you think about everything in life, whether it be good, whether it be bad. Our viewpoint. Now, the reason why I say this is real simple because you and I are what we think about. Proverbs 4.23 says, Keep thy heart with all diligence, for out of it are the issues of life. The Bible says in Proverbs 23.7 about man, For as he thinketh in his heart, so is he. The Bible says in Matthew 12.34, For out of the abundance of the heart, the mouth speaks. 
Now, here's the first thing I want you to write down. I'll tell you when they are. Here's the first thing I want you to write down. Some of them will be all close together, and we'll go a while before we get another one. So don't think you missed anything. At the end of the sermon, if you don't have 10, either you missed something or I missed something. And we both know it could never be me, so it has to be you. No. <laughs> now, here's the first thing you want to write down. Now, in the Bible, the Bible literally says, we are what we think about. That's the first thing I want you to know. Because we're getting ready to enter next week into the greatest chapter on the mind of the minister, and the mind of the minister is key. Because God only gave you one heart, God only gave you one mind. As I said, chapters 8, 9, and 10 are great compounding chapters. Now, I want to give you this. Here's the second thing. The heart of the minister will always produce the mind of the minister. See how that works? This is going to be a very basic fundamental of why people, us, you and me, the people you work with, the people in your life, people in this church, people in your family, why they have problems. In dealing with people, there's a great there's a great principle that I use, and I, I, I've taught it all through my life uh, in dealing with people and teaching other people. Um, and it'll be the third thing you want to write down, and uh, it's simply called attitude versus action. Now, attitude will be where my heart is, where my mind is. You see, the action; those are the things I do will be outwardly always be governed by my heart attitude inwardly. So we call it attitude and action. The attitude I have about something in time will produce the action. Now, in developing yourself, your family, or other people, you got to get this principle down and learn how to use it. And as I always say, it starts with you and me. It has to work in your life first. Now, the attitude of heart will always be defined by our mindset, what we think, how we form opinions. And, you know, uh, a great example of that is you'll find, uh, where you come down through it, or, or it we, we call this in dealing with people patterns of thought, thought patterns. These patterns develop in our heart through the years of association with different things, things that we learn things that we read, things that we see, things that we hear, the people we associate with. And it forms in time a pattern of thought that will produce a pattern of life based on our view of life and our attitude about things in life. I'll give you an example. Marriage problems, when people have marital problems, in its lowest common denominator, it's always one thing. The person, people, couple, got into something called marriage without ever understanding from a biblical standpoint what marriage really is. They got married based on all they've heard all of their life about what marriage is, and it's all wrong. They never got the Bible viewpoint of why even God gave marriage, so they enter into something called marriage that God designed, but they try to run that marriage by another design that God never intended it to run by. You know what the end result is going to be in that and everything? A disaster. I, I, I use this example all the time. 
uh, in couples, and many of you couples are going to smile at this because you've been in my office when I've told you this very same illustration. It's a great illustration. I've said, you know what, if I come home from work and my wife says, the dishwasher's on the blink and it's not working, I'm going to call the repair guy tomorrow, and I'll say, well, you know, before you do that, he's going to cost us a hundred some bucks for him to come out and look at it and fix it. Let's get the owner's manual that came with it, because maybe there's a reset button. Maybe we just knocked something out. Maybe we got to balance it out or something. I don't know. Let's look at it. So we go through, as all couples have in your kitchen, drawers of owner manuals. And we find one for the microwave, the toaster. We find one for this. We find for that. We go all through it, and we cannot find the one for the dishwasher. But I do find the one for the washing machine. So I say to my wife, I couldn't find the one for the dishwasher, but I found the one for the washing machine. I'm going to try to fix the dishwasher with a handbook from the washing machine. Now, this is very basic. In my mind, they both use water. They both clean things. But in reality, they're two different designs. Now, what would be the chance of me fixing my dishwasher with a handbook from the washing machine. Nil. But yet, when marriages have problems, they'll try to fix those marriages which God designed by another handbook that God never intended it to run by. In fact, I would have a much better chance fixing my dishwasher with a handbook from the washing machine than you will trying to fix your marriage without this book. See how it works? It's not really complicated. It really is not complicated. We get ideas about marriage. We get ideas. You see it with people. How many of us have got a bad attitude about some other person simply because some one of our friends told us that that was a nasty person? told us something that may or may not be true or a half-truth. And you, without finding it out yourself... You formulate now a mindset, a pattern of thought that produces an attitude about that person. So when you see that person, the action is wrong. Another great example is the Internet. And we all know that everything on the Internet is true. (laughs) I get the most absolutely goofiest phone calls from people that I don't even know. I mean, I got enough goofy people in my own church. I don't need them around the country. They'll get on the website. They'll see something. Had a guy call me last week. And I'm out with the dogs, and I'm trying to answer his Bible questions to get the dog to go to the bathroom. What a dilemma to be in. And he's saying to me, what about these meteors over there in Russia? What about the, the Bible says in Revelation that stars are going to fall from heaven. Well, now, come on. That, on, a, on a Thursday night Bible study, that's a 20-minute question. Go to the Bible. But I'm not dealing with normal, rational people. I'm dealing with a guy who obviously thinks he was born on Mars, who has no concept of anything in the Bible. And I get it all the time. You know where he got that? Off the Internet. I had a guy send me one time a, a video stream about when, a, when, you know, George Bush, who blew up the World Trade Center, he was behind it, you know. And then somebody else sent me one that aliens were behind it and actually had a video that showed little aliens scaling across the burning buildings. Photoshop's a great thing. 
People see that, they read that, and without ever investigating anything, that forms now their pattern of thought, which forms their attitude, and you know what? Yeah, Bush, it was a conspiracy, yeah. Well, I'm not saying there aren't some conspiracies out there, but you're not going to get them on the Internet. But we form our thinking patterns based on those things. Kids who grow up in racist families, and that's all they hear from mom and dad is racist slurs or racist issues. You know what? Unless something changes in their life, they turn out to be racist. You know, the greatest example of that is, is, is Westboro Baptist Church there in Topeka. Now, you do know, Joe told me this last week, that they're targeting churches in, in Kansas City and Independence and, and Lee Summit that they're going to picket on Sunday morning, Baptist churches. And I guess they're going after Phil Hopper's church coming up here, Abundant Life. And they're going to preach against whorish Baptist churches. Now, now I, I don't even know how to answer that. I would never mind if they came here, but nothing like that ever happens to us. <laughs> That's the problem of being in a basement. <laughs> if, if anything you can say about Old Past Baptist Church, we sure fly under the radar. <clears throat> I'd love for him to set up out there. I would. You know why? Because he calls himself a Baptist. And I would love for him to show up here and pick at this church, because we're Baptist, and show the whole world that we aren't that kind of Baptist. I think it's a good thing. But you know the danger in that thing? You realize that that whole church is nothing but a family run by one man, Fred Phelps? You know what that shows you? I mean, that whole church is all family. And that whole family came from one man, Fred Phelps, who got a twisted, screwed-up idea and then put it into his family and orchestrated the whole family's mindset against everything that is in the Bible and decent in the Bible, it shows you as a father what influence you have on your kids. One father, one man, turned a whole family into a bunch of radical goofballs. It, it's a quite a, but you know what he did? He gave them information. He taught them the Bible wrong. They took it in in their mindset. It became a thought pattern, became an attitude, and now they're going to pick it because it's the action. That's how it always works. Really not hard. Kids who grow up watching their parents smoke think it's okay to smoke. Kids who grow up hearing their parents cuss think it's okay to cuss. Kids who grow up watching their parents drink think it's okay to drink. And kids who run with the worldly crowd they, they, they become just like the worldly crowd because those crowds, those people, those scenarios form a pattern of thought that produces an attitude about it that in time becomes your action. I, I, I told you last week, Psalms chapter 1, blessed is the man that walketh not in the counsel of the ungodly. Everybody's going to get counsel from somebody. People tell you, you know, well, you're just following Bob Alexander. You're following a man. Well, thank you, but everybody follows somebody. The problem that Paul said, be ye followers of me as I'm followers of God. Everybody follows somebody. You just need to make sure that you're following the right person. That's all. 
But that, you know, that's a straw man. Well, you're following a man. Well, who are you following? The bottom line is, everybody follows somebody, and everybody takes counsel from somebody. And the Bible says, blessed is the man that walketh not in the counsel of the ungodly. There's someone that stops taking their counsel from the Word of God and starts taking it from ungodly people. And then you know the possession? Progression showed you last week. Standing. Remember? Walking, standing, sitting. And the last one is sitting in the seat of the scoreboard. There's people who are scornful of this church today who when you go back and would peel back the layers, no matter who they are, it all goes back to one thing. Attitude, thought pattern produced the wrong action. It always works that way. It always works that way. That's how it works. Now in time, those patterns of thought, the mind, will develop into a way of life, a lifestyle about everything that we see. And we develop an attitude about everything we see, good or bad. Now, here's the fourth thing you want to write down. A wrong pattern of thought will always produce a wrong attitude, which in time will produce the wrong action. See how easy it is? You and I are simply outwardly what we think about God, the Bible, inwardly. It it doesn't get any easier than that. And when you start to work with people, or in churches, when you see people with problems, these are the things you want to remember. As a man thinketh in his heart, so is he. Now, many times as we get older, these patterns of thought, they, aha, some of the rules start falling in here. They start to compound. And they start to compound into what the Bible calls strongholds. See? This is what chapter 10 is all about. Chapter 10 is about the strongholds we build in our life and how to pull them down. See? But when you develop the wrong attitude, mindset, and the wrong attitude comes out of it, and then the wrong action, the longer you go, that pattern of thought, the way you think, your attitude, it starts to compound. You start to put, when, you're, when you got your nose bent out of joint, you don't want to hang out with godly people. You look for other people with their noses bent out of joint. It's the way it works. When you get a bad attitude, you don't want to hang out with somebody with a good attitude. You want to look for that person that's got a bad attitude just like you do. And you know what you do when you do that? You compound. And pretty soon you're building that thing into a stronghold, a compound. Now you're in trouble. Now we are no longer in control of our lives, but we're out of control of our lives. And the stronghold, here's the thing, man. The stronghold grows stronger every day. There's not a day in your life at that point that you don't get worse day by day. Now, you multiply that by 20 years, multiply that by 30 years, and you know what you have? You have a royal disaster on your hands. The final stage of that is people who are, or have addictions. Addictions to smoking, addictions to drug, addictions to alcohol, addictions to pornography. And, oh, and the famous last words. I can stop anytime I want to. And in every case, never met an exception. 
In every case, the lowest common denominator will simply be that it goes back to our mind and how we developed our patterns of thought that brought about the attitude, which in time brings about the action. Now, parents, stop here for just a second. This is why you need to be up on what your kids watch. This is why you need to be up on what you kids listen to. This is why you need to be on top of who your kids, the friends they hang out with, and what they have access to. Now, boy, maybe it's just me, but does this ever begin to answer a lot of questions that people have about why things are the way they are in Christianity? If this, if this doesn't begin to answer for you why God's people are the way they are, I mean, I, I know I can't fix everybody, and I don't claim to have that ability, but all I really want to do is learn the cause and the effect. Because you'll never help somebody till you understand where they're at with the whole thing. You know, sometimes people get so confused about things. You really do. I watch some of you. I watch some of you look at circumstances in this church. I've seen this all my life. You look at a couple, or you look at this, or you look at that, and they get out of whack, or they do some stupid thing, or they get an attitude about God, or the Word of God, or who, whatever, whatever, and you just have such a ooh problem with that thing. It, it, it seems to be so confusing for you. Well, I got news for you. The Bible says God is not the author of confusion. Nothing confusing about it. It's simply somewhere along the line, they got however from whoever a bad thought pattern that produced a bad attitude that in time produces the bad action. It's not any more complicated than that. I I don't know why you get so confused about it. Because if you're paying attention, my advice to you, I do this all the time. Develop case studies with people. I do. I think it's one of the most important things I've ever done in my life. I like to watch people. I mean, I can sit at the mall all day long and watch the people go by. I can sit at an airport all day and watch the people go by. Uh, you know, see, now for me it might be a little different because my life is people. I mean, I, I mean, my whole life, my whole world is built around people. So I learned a long time ago that I needed to pay attention. And what I've done all my life is I've... I've uh, I'm going to tell you, there's only about eight or nine patterns of human nature. And in your mind, you, you develop case studies. I mean, if you've got to have goofy people around you, why not use them and learn from them? I mean, don't you have good people around you when you learn from them? Well, if you can learn from good people, why can't we learn from goofy people? I, I mean, am I, is that not, I mean, you're looking at me. I guess you're all awake still. I mean, does that not make sense to you? Yeah, amen. Thank you. Thank you. Nice to know you're still here. <laughs> well, the real Fed Phelps, please stand up this morning. No. <laughs> I, I watch. I watch everything people do. That's my, but that's my job, you see. Some of you, you're like the sun coming up in the morning. If I give you something to do, I never think twice about it. When I, uh, you, you, uh, when I, when I know you know what you're doing, 
I'll get a call on the phone from somebody that you're working with, and uh, I'll be working with two other people or something, and I'll have you call them. And you know what? And to some people, they think, well, Bob, you know, he doesn't, he, 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 he the pastor won't talk to me. He's going to have something. No, the person I'm giving you to talk to you, I have all the confidence that he knows as much about it as I do. That's how much confidence I have in some of you. I mean, that's a, but that's a pattern, you see. I watch you in the pattern. I just didn't meet you and, and, and say, boy, this, I watch you. I make case studies of people. People are my life. I mean, I can't imagine, a, 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 I can't imagine a, a, a chemist going through life not having any test tubes. Well, I can't imagine a people in ministry not having people that you watch. Case studies. You learn. It isn't a thing that you learn and you look and then you make bad gestures or comments about them. You're learning. You want to learn in time the patterns of human nature, and there's not a lot of them. But when you learn them, you understand them, you're in a better position to be able to help them. Some of you, I call you the sign-ups and no show-ups. You'll sign up for everything and show up for nothing. No, I, I look at the sign-up list, and I don't mean to be crude about this. I look at a sign-up list, and I, I, can, I said, I got, I got 60 people. Nope, got 48. <laughs> Somewhere between when we finally meet, I'll get a phone call. Happens all the time. I can't be there. Something come up. My grandfather died again. <laughs> That's a pattern. No, no, you're laughing. That's a pattern. Hey, when we did our, remember when we did the restart thing? And, I, and we all adopted families? Mm. Yeah. Thank you, thank you, thank you. You have a late night last night, son? Yeah, no? Okay. Sorry. What's that grease you put on your head? Oh. That's a pattern. That's a pattern. I mean, you know what? We, 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 had a, we had a restart, and we all adopted families. And you guys, oh, and I got to tell you, uh, Bev, I want you to get my name in the Christmas gift next week, next year, okay? I mean, you bought that kid a television set. Uh, I, I mean, uh, some of you bought him bikes. Some of you bought him, I, I couldn't believe it. And you all took it. And you know what? Here it comes. Patterns. I had four couples, two couples, four people, that took uh, two people, uh, four people. <laughs> I had some people that took some people. <laughs> and when I went down the list and I saw what the needs were, I saw who took them, you know what I did? I went out and bought those gifts. And sure as I'm standing here, come that morning, when we had to have them wrapped, we were having a party that afternoon, those people never showed up, never brought those gifts and never did one thing they said they were going to do and left, not me, but those little kids down there without presents. But I covered it. You know why? I know your pattern. Patterns are incredible. Patterns are incredible. Some of you talk it, but you don't live it. That's a pattern. 
Some of you love to get into the deep thing of Revelation. You love Daniel. You love the tribulation. You get out how many hairs the Antichrist has got on his head. <laughs> but your own personal relationship with God is a disaster. That's a pattern. These are patterns people get into. These are patterns. I watch how, how people, I've had people sit down in my office and tell me, oh, oh, restart is the thing for us. Da, 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 da. The lights have come on. We're all ready to go. I have waited all my life for this. And you know what? Two months later, where are they? <laughs> now, I'm glad they're there, there, and I'm glad they say those things, but you know what? I didn't call Jamie and say, we got it going in the inside. I didn't call the team leaders and say, the world is going to change. Patterns. Some of you people have never finished anything you've ever started in your life. That's a pattern. Doesn't make you a bad person. It just means that if I waited for you to take my dogs out, I'd have to buy stock in a paper cleaning company. Now, You need to build you some case. Do it at work. Do it with your family. Don't tell them. (laughs) Do it with people in this church. You learn from them. If you can learn from good people, then you can learn from goofy people. The two of the greatest men who forged my concept of ministry that taught me more about it than any other two men on this planet One of them did it right. One of them did it completely wrong. I learned from both. Don't think think that you can only learn from good people. Somebody gets their nose bent out of joint and leaves this church, find out why. I do. And I'm sorry my voice keeps going up. (laughs) Hopefully by next year it'll be through puberty and we'll be all good to go. Why won't you learn? Why do you live in a little bubble? Why do you live in a little world that, that you refuse to, to just and find out why? I, I don't understand those things. I, I really don't. I mean, learn from it. Learn how and why a child of God that claims to be saved, and I don't dispute that they are or they aren't, but they're on their way to heaven, will forsake the word of God, almost completely, live like the world, half in, half out, and yet go around and justify themselves and their lifestyle. I've seen it all my life. I mean, ask yourself, do a case study. Ask yourself with all the Bible verses, with all the Bible examples, with all the New Testament principles, the five wisdom books that clearly lay out a wise man and a foolish man and show the disastrous consequences for a life with you turning your back to God and, and add to that all that Jesus said, all that Paul said, all that Timothy said, all that James said. Ask yourself, use them as a case study. How in the world could they try to justify and think they're okay and there's something wrong with you, the church, the Bible, the message? Now, when you can see that, 
when you understand how that works, when you can see the cause and the effect of the way those things operate, you're ready to go. You won't get fooled much. And when you can see those things and break them down to the lowest common denominator, you'll be something else in working and helping with people. And I am trying today to do one thing, broaden your horizons. To work with people and getting past your own issues in life first. You must understand why people look at things the way they look at them. Say the things that they say. and Do the things that they do. Eyes to eyes, mouth to mouth, and hand to hand. I've told this story many, many times, and it's a, it's a great story, and I, I, I tell it every chance I can. It's one of those things that absolutely, in another message, changed my life. You know, a lot of times, things will happen to people, and, every, and, and it, 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 everybody wonders what happened, what, well, you know, how did this happen? I mean, sometimes there are people that are in the church, they're strong, they're leaders, they're this, they're that. Uh, I've seen this all my life. I've dealt with it for 40-some years. And I got this out of a sermon by a guy in a, uh, years ago that, again, it changed my life. He told the story. He was preaching to us at a church one time, and he told the story. He asked the question. He says, what do you get when you squeeze a lemon? Now, and he waited for an answer, and everybody in the church almost said, lemon juice. And he said to them, that's not necessarily true. He said, where I come from, and he was from Georgia, he said, about a year ago, we had a guy going into grocery stores with cyanide or some kind of poison in, in, in a needle, and he was walking over to the produce department, he was injecting poison into the lemons. And when the people bought the lemons and took them home and squeezed them to make lemonade, 40 or 50 people died before they caught the guy. And he says, so the question is, what do you get when you squeeze a lemon? And the answer is, whatever's really on the inside is what comes out. And he said, you know what? What do you get when a Christian gets squeezed? You see, you'd think you'd get Christian juice. <laughs> but when you get squeezed, when I get squeezed, when the circumstances of life grab us around the throat, when we get dealt bad cards in a bad hand of life, what really comes out of us when we get squeezed is what was really on the inside to begin with. And that's why people react to things the way they do. And once you understand that great principle, you're not surprised. Most people think that most Christians are everything they need to be. And that may be true, but the real test of that will be when you're squeezed. And then when you're squeezed, and what we all think should come out, but it really doesn't come out, something else comes out, it all goes back to that what was really on the inside. You see, it's, it's so easy. Uh, it's so easy. Why we make it so complicated, why we get our emotions involved and try to come up with all these, it's so easy. It makes your life a lot less complicated. Somebody says, what happened to so-and-so? Well, they got squeezed. You take it up from there. I don't know what to tell you. 
That's one of the greatest things I ever learned. Now, the answer to all of this lies in the concepts that I already gave you. Wrong attitude of heart will produce the wrong mindset. That will produce the wrong thinking pattern. That produces the wrong action, which will produce and put us on a wrong path in life. Now, here's the fifth thing you want to write down. Now, this is why some Christians, and the reason why some Christians, if they're really Christians to begin with, this is what, why they do what they do. This is why they'll get out in the world, and that yet they'll stand there. Now, listen, this is going to be good. This is going to be a big part of your puzzle right here. This is why some of God's people, male or female, can get into trouble, do things, and, and, and can we all agree on one thing? And maybe you don't agree with everything I'm saying today, but let's all agree on one thing. As a Christian, we should have different standards in the world. Amen. Can I get an amen on that? Amen. Amen. Are, there not different, are there not levels of standards of holiness with God that he requires with his people? Doesn't he say, be holy, for I am holy? Amen. In the book of Leviticus, broken down on, on those two concepts. I mean, we think we can agree with that. Now, this is why a person who claims to be a child of God, and I'm not arguing they are or not, can do what he does, do what she does, that's wrong outside of that, clearly wrong outside the Word of God, and yet they'll stand there and blame everybody else. It'll always be somebody else's fault. They blame everybody else, and when he or her, uh, you know, and as far as God's concerned, uh, you know, and all that it goes on, it's never their fault. They're okay. It's all right for them to do this. And they'll spend their whole life finding other people who are Christian who do the same thing and say, see, there it is. Now, let me show you how this works. This is number five. And it's so simple. He's allowed himself to build a stronghold in his life. A stronghold, ladies and gentlemen, is a defensive position. Across our country, Missouri's got two, Kansas has got one, Fort Riley, Fort Leavenworth, Fort Leonard Wood, you got Fort Campbell, Kentucky, Fort Devens in Massachusetts, Fort Benning, Georgia, forts. You know what those forts are? They're strongholds. They got more ammo and more weapons and more troops and more tanks and everything you can got. They're a defensive position. And when you build, listen to me, here it is, it's simple. When you get the wrong mindset that develops the wrong attitude, that develops the wrong action, you know what the Holy Spirit God does? He pushes you in the corner. And you know what you do? In that hymnal right there, I think it's 394. What you got to do is turn to that, and we all sing the song, I surrender. All to Jesus, I surrender. I surrender all. But we don't do that, do we? We fortify. We're in a corner, so we sandbag. Put up all the defensive. Now we've got a stronghold. Now, now it makes sense. Why does somebody who is definitely wrong with God, doing things that are outside the Bible, and yet they stand in front of you, talk to you, and tell you you're wrong, the church is wrong, I'm wrong, the Bible's wrong, it's okay to do this, it's okay to do that. Why do they do that? 
because now they're in a stronghold. Now they've built their defenses up and they, because of their pride, because of their arrogancy, because of their sinfulness, they hell-bent to election are going to defend their stronghold. That's how that happens. Not hard. Chapter 10 is about pulling down them strongholds. But that's why it happens. He's allowed himself to build a stronghold in his life. And because of his pride, his arrogancy, and that he feels now the need to defend himself. Whenever somebody says something to him, hey, that wasn't right. That wasn't wrong. Oh, defensive shields go up. Because now I'm in my stronghold. Don't tell me I'm wrong. Don't tell me I'm wrong for doing this. I'm in a stronghold. I've got myself defended. It's an undefendable position. We'll call it Fort Deception. His pride, his bad attitude, his wrong thinking pattern, his arrogancy, that he thinks he's right and the Bible's wrong, he's built himself into a stronghold. And you've heard me say many, many times, and this is number six. And this is why you got to tear down the stronghold. And many strongholds never get tore down. Some of God's people are going to think they're right and they can do what they want to do right up to the judgment seat of Christ. And add to that, in most cases, their parents are backing them up. But this is why you got to pull down the stronghold, number six. You've heard me say it many, many times. You can't fix your problems with the same thinking that caused those problems. Now, here comes a $10 million principle. This will be number seven. Now, this is why in dealing with people, you never focus on when they just change their action. You always focus when they change their attitude. Change of action is temporary. Change of heart is permanent. You always want to remember that. This is where most people get caught up in the game of life. They get played. They get burned. They get used. I've told you this before. As a Christian, you can fake a lot of things. But you cannot fake true spirituality because there are some things that true spirituality demand. Remember when you were a kid and you did something wrong and you knew you were going to get whipped for it? So you pretend like you fell down and hurt your arm or your leg really bad so mom and dad wouldn't whip you quite as hard or maybe not whip you at all. You were rolling the dice, but you thought their sympathy for your broken arm, which wasn't broken, was going to override the seat of your pants. (laughs) Christians do the same thing. They will fool you with their action when they have absolutely no, uh, no mindset at all to change their attitude. I've seen it all my life. These are things you need to learn. Change of action is temporary. Change of heart is permanent. This is why people say, well, I'm leaving the church and find another church. Oh, you're going to find another church you're not going to go to. You're going to find another church you're not going to get involved in. You see, that's an action. That's an action. You can fake a lot of things. 
And this brings in the concept of short-term and long-term. I never look at anybody short-term. I never do. I never do. I always look long-term. Short-term will always be action. Long-term will always be attitude. If you're really going to change your attitude and not just fake it with an action change, there's five things, five things that you can't hide that have to come along. You know what that Bible says? That Bible says, we talked about it a couple weeks ago, your life is the altar of God. And Romans chapter 12 says you're to be a living sacrifice. And our job is to lay ourselves on that altar. And when you take yourself off that altar and say, I don't want to be part of it, I'm going to do this. And then you hear a message or God gets you a hold of your head or your heart or whatever, and you want to come back with God and get back in that altar, you got to bring five things with you. I'm not going to give you what they are. My tricks of the trade. I'm not going to give you what they are, but there's five absolute things you've got to have. And when you don't see them, it's an action change. <laughs> Didn't mean to preach. <laughs> but how does a man of action not preach on action? I, you see it all the time. You see it with husband and wives. I, I've had husband and wives where they finally, it's broke. It went five or six years, she's done. That magical switch, been flipped. She doesn't care what's going on now. And they'll come into my office, they'll sit down, and, 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 uh, and he'll say it, all the right things. Honey, I'm sorry, I'll do better, I'll do this, I'm going to fix this, I'm going to stop this. She says, I don't want to hear it. And I says, why not? Here's a man wanting to try to do it. She says, Bob, for five years, every time we get in a jam, he says these things, it lasts, we've been through it a hundred times. He says these things, and then three weeks later, he goes right back to being what it is, I'm done. You know what that is? That's a man who got in a jam that always just changed his action. Never changed it permanently with his attitude. Now it's over. You'll see it with people you work with. And this is where you really see it. People will come in to me, oh, how many times have I heard this? I wish I had a nickel for every time. But my mom always saw somebody with a really big nose. She'd always say, wish I had that nose full of nickels. That was her saying. <laughs> it's true. And I, I don't say that way because obviously some of you have larger noses than others, and I don't want you to feel bad about it. But if I had a nickel for every time I heard some people tell me stuff, I have people come in all the time. Oh, I'm tired of this life. Oh, I want to do this. I want to do that. I want to do that. I am so sick and tired of it. And you know what? Three weeks later, when push comes to shove and I start putting you with somebody to help you and they start screwing down the old ratchet to make the things work, suddenly now it's not as exciting as it was. You know why? It's an action change. When it's an attitude change, you don't care what you got to do. We have a rule in counseling, and, that, and I don't mean to give you all my rule. We have a rule in counseling that there's no secrets between the person that's working with you and me. They're an extension of my ministry. They're working for me. I've trained them. I've got them ready. They know what they're doing. They feed back to me all the information so I can oversee it and make sure everybody gets what they need to get. But there's no secret, and you'll see it all the time. You'll start working with somebody, and somebody will say, well, don't tell Bob this. The moment that counseling person falls for that, they're out of a job because that's exactly what they do. Hey, if you really got an attitude change, you don't care what I know. Well, I think you'd be the guy that wanted me to know. I think you'd be the, I'd be the guy you'd want to know. It's an, atti- it's, a, it's an action, not an attitude. And I'm telling you, I see it all the time. 
<coughs> I've seen guys, people, they get this mindset. You got some worthless Christian. And I use the word worthless because I can't think of another word. <coughs> and they actually think that if you give them something to do spiritually, that's going to make them spiritual. Years ago, you know, we have our athletic league here and, and, and softball. Years ago, we had volleyball, we had basketball, and we had softball. I mean, our league today has been built. Some of you old people have been around for a long time. You know, we had a, we had a, we, it's, it's built on a great tradition of understanding the concept of, of athletics for ministry. But I'll never forget, I had a guy, and he was a, he was a decent guy, and he had a worthless son. And, you know, and I'm all for it. He wanted his son to come and play. Uh, I didn't even forget what it was. Basketball, I don't remember what it was. But he wanted him to come and play. I'm all for it. Bring him on. You know what? I like to bring him on. You know, I know he's wayward. I know he did bring him on. Well, it wasn't three weeks later that somebody told me, do you know so-and-so had his son do the devotion last week? I said, no, no, don't. No, you got the wrong guy. He said, no, no, he did. He says, you know, a lot of the people were looking around saying, well, this kid was out drinking last week and now he's over here doing a devotion. Doesn't that send some kind of mixed message? And I said, it certainly does. So I go to the guy. And I'm I'm diplomatic about it. I mean, I'm mad as a wet hen. But I'm I'm holding it back and I'm I'm not I'm not gonna I mean I but I'm I'm upset about it. Because and maybe I'm wrong, but as Christians, do we not have to have standards? Would anybody come here this morning hear me preach if you saw me drinking a beer last night? Oh, you would. Okay. <clears throat> so I went to him, and I said, look. I said, so I got some people coming to me complaining. Did you do this? And he said, yeah, I did. And I said, what were you thinking? Here's what he said. He said, well, I know he's struggling. I know he's having some problems. I just thought if I gave him some spiritual responsibilities that it would pull him out of it. And I said, oh, then let's don't stop there. Sunday, let's make him a deacon. Oh, no, no, no. Let's don't stop there. Shoot, two weeks from now, get all the family together. We'll ordain the sucker. (laughs) I told this guy, if stupidity was a crime, you'd be doing 25 years of life. You don't fix people's unspirituality by giving them something spiritual to do. You know what you do when you do that? You confuse everybody else and then you bolster to him or her or whatever that they're okay. You're out of your mind. You're out of your mind. You're out of your mind. I told him. It was the most stupid thing that I've... No, I couldn't say that. I've seen a lot of stupid things since that. I've seen people get all excited because some son or some daughter or some person that they're working with makes one good decision, one out of a thousand bad ones. And it's like, change has come. It's like Obama. Change has come. Has it? The only change has come is when you go to the grocery store, you don't get any back. Change has come? Well, don't kill the fatted calf and throw the party just yet. Short-term, long-term. Let's see if it's an action change or an attitude change. If it's an attitude change, then ministry. Attitude change, Thursday night Bible study. Attitude change, where the action is. Action change, you sucker. Give it six months. See where they're at. 
see who they still hang out with, what they're not willing to do for God. I'm telling you, there's five things you got to see. They're not there, go roast a weenie. You're wasting your time. It isn't real. Don't get played. Understand the basic fundamentals of why people do what they do. Eye to eye, mouth to mouth, hand to hand. It's not complicated. We make it so complicated. That's action change, not attitude change. That's temporary change. Because I'm going to tell you something right now. You don't have a stronghold on Monday and then not have it on Tuesday. They're hard to break. You don't have a stronghold on one day and then the next day it's gone. There's a pattern to strongholds. And also there's a biblical process to getting out of it. The Bible says we're going to look at it next week, how to pull it down. Here comes the ninth thing. (laughs) Did I miss eight? (laughs) Well, then I found it. I'll preach it to you again. What was eight? Oh. I don't know. Don't worry about eight. I've told you before. This will be eight. I've told you, or nine if you want to. I don't care what it is. I've told you before, the job of every child of God is simply this. And here it is. The job of every Christian, once you get saved, is to get into that Bible, find out what God's opinion is on everything in life, and then make it your opinion. That's the only way you can ensure right patterns of, of, patterns of thought, right action, a right attitude, and right action. The only way. Because that will produce the right mindset, which will produce the right pattern of thought, which will put the right attitude of heart, which will put the right action. And that's why, honestly, folks, I hammer you with Bible principles all the time. It's the only way. It's the only way. Thy word have I hid in my heart, that I might not sin against thee. Wherewithal shall a young man cleanse his way? By taking heed according to God's word. The beginning of change is simply you getting God's mind over your mind and letting the mind be in you, which was God's mind, make the lasting attitude changes, which produced the lasting action changes. You see it. In Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John, when Jesus first showed up, he had 12 disciples. A little bit later on, he added 70 more. A little bit later on, now we're all disciples. Now, we're all disciples here if you're saved this morning, but there was only, apostles were only back in the New Testament. I was going to say there's only 12, but that's not true. Uh, but they only were back in the Old Testament. There were some qualifications to be an apostle. Nobody can meet him today. But we're not apostles, but we are disciples. The word disciple comes from the word discipline. 12 men back then <coughs> who dis- disciplined their life to what Christ said and taught. 12 men uh, who took what he said and disciplined themselves to it, therefore they were called his disciples. It's the same thing. If you go to UMKC, if you go to Missouri, if you go to Northwest, by Southeast, by East and West, it doesn't matter. When you go and take a philosophy course or take a medical course and you start to talk to somebody, they're going to ask you this. Oh, really? You're in philosophy. Yes. What discipline are you studying? Discipline means who you're following, who you're building it on, who you're studying. Now, when you get saved here, we go through 10 discipleship lessons. 
10 basic lessons that teach you to be a disciple by learning what Christ thinks about 10 fundamental areas, and then you learn how to discipline yourself to them, and that's the beginning of you being Christ's disciple. The Bible that God gave us in its lowest form and common denominator is God's mind. Think about that. Incredible. The Bible says, let this mind be in you, which was also in Christ Jesus. What a great verse. It says there in chapter 2, if there be therefore any consolation in Christ, if any country, uh, uh, any comfort, this is Philippians 2, 1 through 5, uh, of love, if any fellowship, of any spirit, if any bowels and mercies, fulfill ye my joy that ye be like-minded, being of one accord and of one mind. And then he comes down, let this mind be in you, it was also in Christ Jesus. That's the mind you have. Getting God's mind is overriding your own mind. Getting God's thoughts and making them your thoughts. Practically speaking, all the Bible to me in a practical sense is my new mind that God has given me to go along with a new heart that he supplied me when he saved me. Second great verse, 2 Corinthians 2, verses 15 and 16. But he that is spiritual judgeth all things, and he himself is judged of no man. Verse 1 says, if you're spiritual, you have the ability to judge all things. Now, let me talk to you about that for a moment. As a Christian, I don't judge people. I don't really care what you do one way or the other. But as, and, and you shouldn't either. But as a Christian, if you're spiritual, that verse says that you judge all things, not people. I don't judge people, but I do judge the things people to do. I don't judge them if it's right and wrong for them. That's not my business. But I do judge it if I want it in my life. And I'll tell you something else. I'll really judge it if I want it in my church. I'll ask myself, is that going to help me? Is that going to strengthen me? Is that going to take some of these young people and help them? Or is it going to hurt them? You see, I don't judge people. I could care less. That's between you and God, and God will deal with you, and God will judge you. But I will judge the things people do, and so should you if you're spiritual. You say, well, I don't do that. Well, thank you for the testimony. (laughs) If you're spiritual, you judge all things. You look at what people do and say, if I put that into my family, I don't want my child doing that. I don't want my, my, my teenager running with that teenager. I don't want my son going with that girl. I don't want that girl going with my son. I don't want my, my 20-year-old hanging out drinking beer with that 20-year-old. You've got to make choices, and it's based on the things people do going back to the patterns of thought, going back to the attitude it produces, going back to the ultimate action that happens. It ain't complicated, folks. When you don't want to do what's right with God, you like to make it complicated, don't you? Now, here's the standard, verse 16. Who hath known the mind of the Lord, that we may instruct him. So, he says, but we, God's people, have the mind of Christ. You see... And that mind of Christ is what you let be in you, which was also in Christ Jesus. Now, this is the lowest common denominator breaking things down. You now know, in the most simplistic form, why people are the way they are. You now know why people will get outside of the Word of God. We've already established, I think I got about 75% of you to agree that there's certain standards of holiness that we should have as a Christian. And we know that outside that, there's no defense. I mean, if we're all just going to live like hell and live like the world, what's the point? How do we tell people there's an alternative 
when you don't follow the alternative. I mean, I don't understand that. But we now know what happens, don't we? We get the wrong patterns of thought, develops the wrong attitude, the wrong the wrong action, and then we get pushed in the corner, we build a little defensive, and now the funniest thing in the world. It's like I look at some people and I think to myself, all she needs, all he needs is a clown suit, three rings, and a big top. Because this is a circus. How in the world do you live where you live, do what you do, and then say I'm okay and you're wrong? I'll tell you how you do it. Hand me another sandbag. Hand me another log. Let's fortify my place. I got me a stronghold. And nobody's going to tell me what's right. I'm going to drink what I want, smoke what I want, do what I want. Nobody's going to tell me, certainly not that preacher, certainly not the people in that church, why they got no grace. They don't understand. I like my booze. I like my cigarettes. I like my lifestyle. Who are they to say there's something wrong with me? I got me a fort. Yeah, fort deception. And run by captains is too stupidity. <laughs> Mephibosheth, 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 Mephibosheth. That always cleans my mouth out. <laughs> now, here's the last one. Oh, I got to have a little humor. I mean, this is all good stuff. I mean, you go out of here today, you got it made. Some of you, I made your day, and some of you, you won't even sleep tonight. You're so mad right now, you don't know what to do. The only reason you can't run up and jump out of here because your mama will see it, your daddy will see it, your friends will see it, and what are you going to say? Last one. Simple one. I'll leave you with this. Always be smarter than the problem. Start looking around you. Take what I've given you today and find out why people do what they do. A couple of you guys have been going over to the motel over there and you've been putting up with a lot of junk over there, but I guess you both would agree probably the, one of the best training session areas you've ever been in. You got to see why it is the way it is. And today you're going to drop the hammer. Take a big hammer. <clears throat> I love it. That's why I'll let you be with deadheaded people that have no future at all, and I'll let you stay with them and stay with them and stay with them, when in my mind, probably just from my experience, there's no way they're ever going to turn the corner. But you know what? If I can't fix them, then I'll use them to help you grow and learn how to do it. I mean, honestly, if I can't get honor and glory out of you one way, I'll get it another way, but I will get it. Case studies. Be smarter than the problem. Start looking around you. Start making case studies. Judge all things in light of God's mind for yourself. Now next week, and this is the intro, next week we're going to jump into 2 Corinthians chapter 10. We're going to start looking at the mind of the minister and the problem that we all have are the strongholds that we build and I'm going to show you how to pull them down. Let's pray. Father, we thank you and praise you.